If you brought your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. If you have your cell phones with you, I'm fond of saying it's not really a cell phone, it's really a pocket Bible that can also make calls and do a few other cool things with some other apps. So if you have your pocket Bibles with you, you can always go to BibleGateway.com or to the U version of the Bible app. We are preaching through the Ten Commandments, and we're talking about it being the Ten Commandments for everyday living. The idea is that these commandments are not just something that were written in stone thousands of years ago. They continue to be living and breathing for us today. We come today to commandment number eight. Now, some of these commandments are so self-evident that when you hear them, I literally can say, you are dismissed. Thou shalt not steal. Goodbye. Everybody can leave now. We get it, right? Don't take something that's not ours. However, when we only understand it in the big sense, we miss, like we do with the rest of the commandments, far more that is involved in it. Like with the other commandments, if you read through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you start to discover that Jesus also has teaching on this commandment as he does with the others. Here he talks about our treasure. Jesus says, don't store for your treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store for yourself treasures in heaven. What Jesus is pointing out, although he's not talking specifically on this commandment, he gets to the heart of what this commandment is about. Because theft or taking something that isn't ours is wanting something for ourselves that we somehow think that we deserve and somehow making too much of the things of this world. Amen? Hear that loud and clear? And that is far more than just taking something. That's also how we live. Do we live for the kingdom of God and realize that God's kingdom is eternal? And when we live by spiritual principles and put our faith in Christ and live the way Christ wants us to live, that we're doing the work that God wants us to do? Or are we making the things of this world our God? And that gets to the heart of this commandment. Yes, we all understand it in the big sense, but what about it in the small compromises? That's why I'm calling today's message, Just One Sugary Starbucks Drink Can't Hurt. Now, you may think that this is my final attack on Starbucks, even though I drink a Starbucks all the time. Have I somehow departed and started to drink Dunkin' Donuts? That's not going to happen this morning. <laughs> However, now, lo and behold, this is interesting. Sorry to whoever it is, but this is about the size of the drink that I want us to be thinking of that just happened to be sitting here in the front row. Thank you very much for whoever left their cup here. Because years ago, I had an opportunity to hear an Olympic coach address a bunch of high school students, including our youngest son, and he was talking about running. And he was trying to get these young people to understand the importance of not compromising in their training. When he was talking, I sat there and listened. I thought, man, a lot of what he says has to do with our Christian faith also. Because he came across a story that he told about a drink about that big, a Starbucks drink. And he said that years ago, he was training the number one 800-meter female runner in the United States. One of the best runners this guy had ever coached. And he said it came up time for the Olympic tryouts, 
and she was ranked number one, so everybody thought she was going to be on the Olympic team. To go to the Olympics, you had to come in first place or second place. Third place was going to be the alternate, and fourth place, sorry, you, got, you stayed home. Said, all of her training was great, all of her pre-runs was great, everything was awesome leading up to the day. However, he said, when I noticed her get to the starting line, he said, I could tell there was something wrong. She just wasn't herself. He said, I didn't know what if it was her emotions. I don't know if the anxiety of the day had gotten to her. And he said, I just hoped and was just hoping everything would turn around. And when the gun went off and the race started, I could tell there was something just not right. And he said, don't get me wrong. She came in fourth place. And coming in fourth place in the Olympic tryouts is a really big deal, but not if you're the number one runner in the United States. And he said, she missed her one and only chance to go to the Olympics. And he said, later he sat down with her as her coach and, and tried to figure out what was wrong. And she goes, I don't know. She said, I just didn't feel it. She said, he goes, early in the day? She goes, early in the day? I was feeling great. And he walked her through the day. He said, let's talk about that day. What did you do? The race was like 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. At about 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, she said, near the stadium there was a Starbucks. And she said she saw a big venti, frappuccino, juicy, sugary drink. And she thought, that can't hurt me. I'll have plenty of time for that to go through my system. And he said, what ended up happening is that one drink, after all that training, made her blood sugar and everything, the caffeine, the sugar and everything. She had this big rush and high, and she came down, and it hit at just the wrong moment, and it kept her from winning or coming in second place all the way down to fourth. And he said, young people, remember this. Compromise can get us every time. We don't know when and where. We can't pick it out. We can't say, well, I can compromise here and I'll be okay, but if I compromise here, I won't. And that's why we should never underestimate what happens when we compromise. What we're doing is going to our own best thinking. We're somehow saying, I got this covered. You know, this one little thing, it doesn't really matter, and we never realize that that one compromise can have drastic consequences in our life and in our faith. Now, please hear me from the beginning of this message. This message is not about perfectionism because we do not serve a God who asks us to live according to the law and according to rules. It's about grace. And when we compromise, we always have that opportunity to confess and to be forgiven and God's love and grace and forgiveness is there all along. Amen? But the consequences in this world are also there. You see... If I compromise and decide I'm going to drive down the road 90 miles an hour today, I may say, well, I've confessed it before God, and I'm okay. But the truth is, the cop's not going to really care, and I'm going to have quite a big fine that I'm going to be paying. This is about learning to understand that these commandments aren't just about the big things, but it's all the ways in which we live. That takes us to the story of Joshua. If you know the story, and if not, I, I will... Repeat it for us. In Joshua chapter 5, Joshua and a new generation are on the scenes. Here's what's taken place. Moses and Aaron have led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they've gone across the desert. They've been wandering for 40 years, and now that generation is gone. The old-timers have passed away. 
And along comes Joshua, and he and Caleb and the new group bring them across the Jordan River, and now they're ready to claim the homeland because they've returned back home where they haven't been for hundreds of years. And what does God say? God asks them to have the big ask. God says, the first thing we're going to do before anything else is I want all the men, not just the babies, all the men to be circumcised. Folks, that's a big ask. Because he said the circumcisions didn't take place when you all were kids in Egypt, so now it's time to do it. And what happens is the story is told. Here's the city of Jericho, big city, out there on the plain. The Israelites go through this big ask. They do the ritual purification and literally make themselves vulnerable because that's not exactly how you want to fight a war, to have all your guys just have been circumcised today. And Jericho, city of Jericho is looking down, and they see these people in the camps, and they're well aware of what's going on. What happens, however, is they're living by faith. They're saying, we're doing the right thing. We're going to live the right way. And then as we come to chapter 6, we get the story of the fall of Jericho. Now there's battles that they have to fight. There's, in our lives, battles we have to fight, whether we like it or not. Battles for all kinds of stuff that we deal with. Maybe it's a personal battle of something that we've been struggling with that God says it's finally time to accomplish this. This big goal in your life, you can finally take on and it's going to be done. Well, in this case, it was about defending themselves and staking out their territory. And so what they're told to do is march around the city of Jericho every day, one time, and the priests are going to blast their horns. And they do it, and the people of Jericho look down for six days and kind of laugh at them, going, oh, that's a crazy group of people. On the seventh day, they go around seven times. On the seventh time, when the horns are blasted, the people shout, the walls come down. Victory is given to the nation of Israel, and they're feeling good. God is faithful. We've lived the right way. We've trusted God, and look at how good things are. But, in fact, actually, chapter 7 begins with the word but. But there has been a violation. They've been also told but when you go in and you're in the middle of a military conquest, you don't take anything for yourself. You don't go stealing from the enemy. And one guy, Achan, and his family seem to have thought, well, there's a little bit of gold and silver over there. Nobody's going to notice. Nobody's going to notice if we take this for ourselves. I mean, what's the big deal? This entire this city is gone. This, we've, we've won the battle. They're not going to come back and claim it. We might need it someday. I know we're not supposed to do that, but, you know, honey, if we just take a little bit for ourselves and don't tell anybody, you know, there might be a bad day someday and, and we can pull out our gold and pay our bills. And so that's exactly what they do. They take it, they bury it underground, full well observing and knowing that they've done the wrong thing. They hide it, and we come to chapter 7. The other thing that takes place is Joshua should have gone back through a purification we just won a battle. How about an opportunity to bring everybody together and say, have we lived faithfully? Is there something we need to confess? Is there something we've done wrong? Does anybody need an opportunity to pray a prayer of confession and, and say something that went wrong in the battle? But instead, he and the military generals get a little confident. They said, you know, if we could take Jericho... That was a big city. The next thing we got to do is we got a battle against this little place called Achan or Ai. There's no big deal. Like, we don't even need all of our troops. We'll just send a few of them in. 
And in their own mind, they devise their own plan, and you can imagine what takes place. Whereas before, we're living by faith, and we're trusting God, we're living with integrity, we're confessing what we've done wrong, we're making sure that we put God in the throne of our lives, and we're living by faith. Now, all of a sudden, they devise their own plans, and they suffer a humiliating defeat. It sets the stage for the Old Testament, which is also the story of our life, of constant battle where we live by faith, things start going well, we're doing the right thing, we're trusting in God, we're getting a little victory, and we get a little overconfident. We make the compromise and we say, I got this covered. We forget the very thing that got us there. It was our faith in living the right way that allowed the victory to take place. We see this with people all the time in life. We pray for that advancement in work. We live the right way. We're honest and get to work early. We do all the right things. We live by faith. We completely say, I'm just going to do the best I can. We get the promotion and, well, nobody's really going to notice if I show up a half an hour late today. And Okay, so I'll surf on the internet and, and buy something on Amazon rather than doing my work. And pretty soon, the very thing that has allowed us to live that life of integrity and faith all of a sudden goes out the window when we start making the compromises and we start thinking we know better. Here's the thing we learn. Our plans don't replace faith. Human plans are human plans. Our plans are nothing more than our best thinking. And folks, I hate to tell you this, our best thinking is not that great. Because left to ourselves, we can create any scenario for ourselves and justify anything. I often like to say, our heads are a dangerous neighborhood. Amen? Listen to what our text tells us. Verses 1 through 3, chapter 7. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things, so the Lord was angry with the Israelites. Achan was the son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near beth -Avon. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack. And since there are so few of them, don't make all our people struggle and go up there. Do you hear the two problems that had created in their own plans? First, there had been a theft at Jericho by Achan. The problem with this small compromise, taking something that wasn't theirs, is it was self-will. It's saying, I know better. It's saying, it doesn't matter what the rules are. It doesn't matter what God's told us to do. I can do it my way. And Joshua never takes time to bring the troops together and say, listen, folks, before we go to our next battle, battle can be kind of an intense thing in life. Let's take an evaluation of what we just did. Has anybody done something wrong? Let's have an opportunity to confess, to make right with God before we move forward. Same thing in our lives. We go through a situation. It's important to take an evaluation back. That's why we like to say to people, start our days with prayer. Get on our knees in the morning and have a prayer. Get to the end of the day and go back over our days and say, Lord, is there a, not who out there do I not like that I can pray a little prayer of vindiction towards them? You know, Lord, get so-and-so. I don't like how they acted. That's not the prayer for the end of the day. The prayer for the end of the day is, Lord, where have I done anything wrong? Where does my life need change or healing? It's interesting. The Benedictines have this. John Wesley had this. 
You find it all through Christian tradition, this idea of looking back and saying, where have I messed up? Children of Israel didn't do that. Joshua did not lead that kind of self-reflection. The other thing is, Joshua and the leaders were self-confident rather than faith-filled. Once we start compromising, we start thinking we know better. How many times have we done something in our life only to look back and say, wow, it started with that one compromise? Now, before I tell the next story, I do want to assure you, I reached out to the person who it's his story, and I said, do you mind if I share this story in church? And he said, not only that, please feel free to share my name. George Afonso works in recovery. He's had 10 years of sobriety, which is great. And this last Monday, he had a nice promotion in a new job where he is an addictions counselor. But he loves to tell the story of the 99-cent hot dogs. He said at one point in his life, he was doing well, and he was living and, and was sober, and his life was all coming together, and, and he had a good job, and everything was working out well. He was doing all the stuff he was supposed to do. And then one day, he was at the supermarket. And when he was buying stuff at the supermarket, you know how it happens. You know the person is scanning the stuff. The woman missed a 99-cent package of hot dogs. And he realized it. He looked down and thought, oh, I should say something. But he didn't. And he said, well, it's not going to hurt anything. 99 cents. I just saved a buck. That's pretty good, right? And he said, that began a series of compromises in his life. But all of a sudden now, because of that, you could justify something else, justify something else. He said, do you know where it led me? He said, it led me to waking up out of a coma in a hospital, nearly dying. He said, when you tell the story, tell it this way. Remind people, I nearly died because of a 99-cent package of hot dogs. One compromise, one confessed, not dealt with. Remember, you can always take the hot dogs back. You know, I always go back to the store and say, you know, I'm really sorry. I should have paid for this. Here, let me give you the dollar. There's many opportunities to make our confession and get through it. But when we just choose our own best thinking, our own best plans, and we think we know better, and we put ourselves in first place, our compromise leads to our best thinking, which isn't that great, and pretty soon, the victories and things that God's doing in our life, we start looking at and saying, where are they? Lord, what's going on? I thought you were faithful. But here's what the text teaches us. God doesn't owe us victory. Do you hear that? Those are the tough words for today's message. And I'm going to get an amen on it this time. God does not owe us victory. We like to think he does. I'm special. I'm Pastor Stan. I'm a grandfather who hasn't held my grandchildren for two months for crying out loud. God owes me everything. No, God doesn't. I need to live faithfully. I need to learn to live life on life's terms and trust in God and put God on the throne of my life and realize that the victories aren't mine anyhow. The victories are the Lord's. And that's why we dedicate our lives to God and we seek to be faithful. Far too many times Christians go through life and all we think about is ourselves and we think more about ourselves and we start thinking everybody else is probably thinking about us too and they're all too busy thinking about themselves all the while we're sitting there thinking, doesn't God just owe me that everything should go well in my life? Well, let's hear what the Bible says. Verses 4 and 5. 
So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. What was that word? Say it with me. Defeated. That's not victory. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Defeat. Yeah, that's what happens when we do life our ways. When I think that somehow I know better, any one of us thinks that we have the rules. We don't have to play by everybody else's rules. We don't have to live the way that, that things are laid out. Well, I'll do it my way, and it leads to defeat. But then what does defeat lead to? It led to fear. You see, once faith is gone and we're not living by faith, we start getting terrified. But God, I thought you were going to be faithful. I thought you were going to show up. Remember? Faith over fear, but that requires faith. It doesn't say over fear without the faith. When we're living by faith, it's amazing what we can face. I will tell you as a pastor of over 39 years, I have seen people face things I don't know how they face and they don't face. God faces it for them. And they bear witness to me, pastor saying, God's getting me through this situation. Because when we're living by faith, we're trusting God and God's fighting our battles and we're not fighting them ourselves. And that's what was happening in Israel. But now let's see how it goes for them on their own. It led to a lack of courage. Because when we are afraid, we don't make good decisions. If you're making decisions in your life based out of fear, those are not the decisions to make. When we get terrified and fearful and anxious and all upset and start thinking that that's the way to make decisions, that is not the time to make decisions. That's the time to get down on our knees and confess before God, God, I need your strength. I need your help. I need people to surround me. I need hands laid on me, Lord, so that I can get through this situation. Because you see, the defeat at AI ended up being a good thing, even though they didn't see it. And that's what we need to understand in our lives. Sometimes those moments of things not going well become God's opportunity for us to say, Lord, I took my will back. I don't want to live that way. I want to live a different way. I want to live with a confidence and a trust and know that you are with me. It got me thinking to my first big sin. Do you ever think about that in your life? I went back in my life and I thought, hmm. Now, my mom and dad aren't here, so I'm sure they could tell us that there was other big sins before this. But this was for Stan, a big sin. I was a third grader. And I lived in a little town. I've told you about my little town. In fact, I just went back and I visited my little town. It's still as little as ever. In fact, a lot of the businesses are gone from downtown. I went for a run in my town. Three-mile run. My town is so small, you got to run around the town a few times to do a three-mile run. And if you blink as you're going through my little town, you aren't going to see my little town. It's Waynemere, North Dakota. It is a little town. So now when I'm a little kid growing up in this little town with my father being the Methodist minister, you know what? Everybody knew who I was and everybody knew who my family was. And my parents had good friends from Connecticut and they were out visiting. And they have a boy. He's my age. I won't say his name, I won't out him in front of everybody, but 
Let it just suffice to say that his mother used to joke with me and said, who would have ever thought that a future minister would lead my son astray? Because my friend and I devised a plan to steal a pack of cigarettes. And we got away with it. We snuck into the grocery store in our town and we got that pack of cigarettes and we got out of there. And back then, there were no surveillance cameras and nobody knew what we did. And we went out in the country. And we went down to a culvert and we pulled out our pack of cigarettes and we split it between the two of us. I smoked half of them, he smoked half of them. And I was feeling pretty smart as a little kid. And later in the day, I was feeling okay and my friend started to get sick. And I started to get concerned as he started to get sick, and he got really sick. And finally, his dad pulled him aside and said, what's wrong? And he confessed. And now I was in trouble. That was a good thing for me as a kid. It's better that I got caught as a third grader in my little town and started to realize the consequences of being in a little town, having a bunch of eyes on you where everybody knows you, than thinking that somehow I could get through life doing things wrong and getting away with it. Amen? And many times in my life, I go back to that situation in the embarrassment and the humiliation and going back and telling the person that we took the pack of cigarettes from what we did and even having a woman say to me when I'm now in my 30s, she was a woman who eventually I preached at her funeral, so we did make amends probably by the time I was a fourth grader. Anyhow, at her service, she would always say, can you believe it? You're the one who had my son steal a pack of cigarettes. Defeat sometimes is God's way of getting our attention. Amen? Amen. Amen. Our best thinking doesn't work, and God wants us to understand our best thinking doesn't work. The people who were Israelites needed to realize that when they trusted God, things went well. When they didn't trust God, things weren't going to go well. But here's the other thing. If we end the message there, we walk out of here paranoid thinking that God is this arbitrary, capricious God who just expects us to follow rules and none of us can do it. But here's the truth. When we fail, God says, get up. God doesn't say, shame on you. I can't believe you messed up. You screwed up again. What kind of a knucklehead are you? Far too many people go around life with that theology, and that's not in the Bible. Listen to what the Scripture says, verses 6 through 10. Joshua in the Elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay. They threw dust on their heads and bowed their face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out, O sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River? If you're going to let the Amorites kill us, if only we had been content to stay on the other side, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land here, they will surround us and wipe out our name off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to the honor of your name? But the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Isn't that where we find ourselves a lot of times in life? We mess up. We confess. We admit what we've done wrong. And now we wallow in self-pity. And nobody can wallow in self-pity like we can. You see, theft is a compromise. 
And lack of faith is a compromise. And doing it our way instead of trusting God is a compromise. But God is a gracious and loving God. God is a God who bestows grace upon us. Do you know what grace is? Grace means that God gives us good things that we don't deserve. That's a God that we serve. That's why we come to worship and we see a cross that reminds us that our Savior died for us to forgive us our sins, but not just to give us forgiveness, but then to bestow grace upon us. And so we wake up in the morning and we say, wow, I've lived some pretty messed up things in my life and my thinking hasn't been all great, but look what good things God's doing for me. And we can start focusing on how God wants us to get up and get going every single day. Yes, the people acknowledged what they did wrong. They tore their clothing. They repented. They put dust on their head. And they prayed and even prayed a crazy prayer. Sometimes our prayers are pretty crazy to God. Lord, I messed up, but I just don't understand what I'm going through. Why are you doing this to me? He said it all right there. That wasn't some perfect prayer that he's praying some perfect theology. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He's saying, look at God. Everybody's going to be embarrassed because of us, and nobody's even going to know about you. But you know what he did? He prayed. He poured out his heart and his soul to God. Far too many Christians wallow in guilt, shame, and self-pity. We look at our past and we say, but if you only knew what I did, you wouldn't say that to me, Pastor Stan. If you only knew what I've done. I ask a different question. If only you knew what Jesus did for you. It's not about the fact that we aren't perfect. We aren't perfect. Joshua was not perfect. The children of Israel were not perfect. Abraham was not perfect. Sarah was not perfect. Hannah was not perfect. I can go through every name in the scripture. The only one is perfect is the Lord, and he died on a cross because people crucified him. For our lives, we are not going to get it right all the time, and the message is not about being perfect. It's about learning to confess our sins and let God say to us, get up. Just one sugary Starbucks drink can't hurt. can if you're an Olympic runner. It can if you realize that our compromises will take us to places we don't want to be taken to. And so if you're here this morning and there's compromise in your life, I invite you to come forward for prayer. At the end of the service, we're going to have a time. Come forward and be honest and confess and have somebody pray with you. If you have something in your life that you're holding on to and you can't let it go, come forward for prayer and let it go. Because that's the God we serve. Not a God who asks us to live some kind of perfect life that we're never going to live up to, but one who invites us to be honest with who we are. That's why we celebrate communion. Communion is an acknowledgement that the very night that Jesus gave his life, he knew how messed up we were. He knew that you and I would be here today, and he knew that our lives were not perfect. But he did something for us. He said, okay, you're a messed up bundle of humanness, but you're still part of my family. We're family with each other. 
And he said, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've messed up with. How do I know he said that? Because he had Judas sitting right there. And he offered the bread and the wine. And he also had Peter sitting there who he knew was going to betray him in just a few hours. And he said to them what he says to us, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance. Knowing that you're part of God's family, if you and I trust in Jesus and allow him to forgive our sins, if we allow the fact that we're part of his family, we are invited to receive this bread and understand that we are Christians. We're part of our Heavenly Father's family. That's why Jesus said, eat it with thanksgiving. The Bible then says, when the meal was over, Jesus took a cup. And he said, this cup represents my blood, which will be shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Can we all acknowledge we're sinners? I'm told people don't like that word. I love that word. It means that I'm not perfect and I don't have to be. It means I miss the mark and I can acknowledge that I miss the mark. It means we all do wrong. There was an old story of a Welch pastor who showed up for worship one day and he found out that there was a group of people trying to get rid of him for being the pastor because they had discovered something in his past. And they said, here's our chance to get this guy. And people said, what are you going to do, pastor? And he got up in the pulpit and he said, there's rumor going around about this. And he named the thing from his past. And he said, it is 100% true and it is in my past. And I've confessed before the Lord and I've dealt with it. And I'm here to give you a message. I've been forgiven and you can be forgiven for the things in your life also. That's why Jesus offered his blood for us. He died that we could live because he lives. Let us receive it with thanksgiving. As our worship team comes forward, as we close our service with our final song, if anyone here is struggling, you know we struggle from time to time. We all do. If there's something that you need to confess or if there's something you need to let go of, I invite you to come forward. I will be at the front if others come forward. Far too often we carry the stuff ourselves and we carry it in our heads and we think somehow that we can figure it out. God's grace is beyond anything that we can imagine. His love never ends. Let us stand together and let's sing. <laughs>